Welcome to another episode of the Community Board Podcast with your host Miguel Valdez. Uh, today we're celebrating here with Dr. Roca, Dr. Walter Roca. How you doing, doctor? Good. How about you? Good. So, uh, before the, we jump into the main topic that we, you're going to be sharing with us, um, I have a question, and uh, and also I want to just to get to know you in, in our, and also our guest. I I saw your presentation a couple of days ago, and uh, I learned that you're from Italy. What part of Italy are you from? Yes, I am from Italy and uh, from the northwest. That's the part of the country that is near to France and Switzerland. So a little bit special place. We actually grow up speaking almost a dialect of French more than of Italian. Okay. And what was the name you mentioned before that province? It used to be called all the way to almost to the Barcelona area. Yes, it's very interesting. Um, if you look at the history of Europe, uh, the northwest of Italy um, and the south of France and the northeast of Spain, what we now call Catalonia, used to be part of a unit or a country, if you want, uh, called Provence. And people used to share uh, the same language. And there were people going from one place to another, telling stories using this language, which was mainly a verbal rather than a written language. And it was very strong and very, very important. But then this language was basically taken over by the big national languages, such as French, uh, Italian, and Spanish. And when we say Provence, I hear also sometimes when you see some of those cooking shows, they say this is a Provence cuisine or, or yeah. style. Is that where it comes from? Yeah. Is yeah. that region of the Italy? Yeah. N normally, now people think of Provence as southern France. Oh, okay. Yeah, so For wines and... Yeah, yeah. and but uh, historically, in the 1100, 1200, then it was a broader concept. So today, Provence is mainly south of France. Okay. And they think of... Uh, cuisine and wine and food from, from the French Riviera and the region just next to the Riviera. And um, one more thing. So how do you end it here in Minnesota? Uh, that's tell a tell me a little bit of the background. How do you end it here? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I can say that one of the most important reasons why I am in Minnesota uh, and here in Rochester, uh, Minnesota, it's because I always had a passion for research and research done uh, on human populations. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I was in medical school and I was being trained, I came to discover that there was a place in Minnesota uh, where there was the Mayo Clinic and there was a research uh, system called the Rochester Epidemiology Project. Well, so uh, this is when you were in Italy studying oh yes. at the medical school? Absolutely. The Rochester Epidemiology Project uh, that we are going to talk about today has existed for 50 years. So I am today 60 years old. So I was 10 when this system was developed. So when I was in medical school in my 20, 24, 23, uh, the system was already known and even in Europe. Okay. And uh, yeah, I was doing a little bit of background, like what was going on during the 1966 when the the project started. And I was looking at uh, Bob Dylan was on the top charts, the Beatles, yes. uh, Ford Mustang was a hot car yeah. back then. I guess uh, England won the World Cup, something like that. So yeah. around those years, so and that was already going on here in Rochester, Minnesota. I like very much to be 
mentioned in conjunction with Bob Dylan. As you know, I'm a big admirer of Bob oh, Dylan. Okay. And I always say when I give talks that I am from Minnesota and we have a local philosopher and poet, Bob yeah. Dylan, and then I quote him. And people look at me like, say, what is he talking about? <laughs> so what's your favorite tune? Uh, I like... Um, like a Rolling Stone, I like the time they are changing. I, I like a lot of them. So. Do you get a chance to go look at him at the baseball field here when he came? Yeah, I think I was two or three times at his live uh, performances, but not always he sings what I want him to sing. <laughs> so sometimes you go and then you're disappointed because he's not going to sing what you want. So. Yeah. So, okay, so going back, so you were in school, you knew about this project going on. Yes. How many other places in the world have this type of uh, research or, um, or infrastructure? Pro infrastructure? Yeah. Well, there are some important ones, of course, and they are mainly in Europe. Yeah. Um, Sweden has a long tradition of putting together uh, records from hospital clinics. Um, from a long time ago. From a long time ago. Uh, Denmark is another country with an amazing tradition of registries and uh, data accumulation. Iceland has done a lot, um, some part of England, some part of the Netherlands. So mm -hmm. in Europe, there are um, a number of initiatives which are also made possible by the fact that this country have a national health system with a single payer. So it's easier to put together data when there is a single system. In a place like the United States, where we have a fragmented multi-provider, multi-insurance, multiple payers, mm -hmm. it's more difficult to put things together. So in the United States, for example, you can do it if you go to the Medicare population, because Medicare is public and yeah. it's for everybody above age 65. So, well, not everybody takes well, care advantage of Medicare, yeah, I, right? Yeah, but a large segment yeah. of the United States. I would say that mm -hmm. Medicare is quite uh, good for the uh, elderly population. The problem with the Medicare uh, data, which we can use for research, is that it's a bit difficult to get access to it. It's a lot of bureaucracy mm -hmm. and uh, controls and checks. And then uh, only certain data are available, not uh, all that we would mm -hmm. like to have. And uh, also, uh, if you get the data to do a specific study, then you need to let go the data and next time you have to so start again. missing pieces so can yeah. you paint the picture for me and for our friends who are listening what is the benefit of the rochester um, epidemiology project and first can we go over the basics what is epidemiology okay so <clears throat> what uh, does it study epidemiology is a part of medicine mm -hmm. uh, that studies how disease uh, come and go so basically, you want to know how frequent the disease are in a population, you know, how common they are. So when you say that uh, the most common cause of death in the United States is cardiovascular disease, you're making an, epi an epidemiological statement. When you say that dementia is more important than epilepsy, you're making an epidemiologic statement. So you are looking at the frequency <coughs> of the diseases. So when we hear in the news, there is obesity ep epidemic yeah. or asthma. Those Correct. That's, that's epidemiology. Okay. But there is a lot more than just that. Also, when you say that smoking uh, causes lung cancer, or when you say that smoking increases the risk of dementia, or when you say that eating uh, a lot of fat food increases uh, myocardial infarction, 
or that all of these statements are epidemiologic statements. Mm -hmm. So you look at the causes and the risk factors for diseases. Mm -hmm. You're good. Or protective factors. And then also you can look at uh, what happened to people. So, for example, what happened to people that have a certain disease? Are they going to live less long? Are they going to have uh, the need to be hospitalized, to go to nursing homes? Uh, will they be disabled? So all of the studies of the diseases in the population fall into the domain of epidemiology. So it's you can see, for example, in this case, what is the area that it covers when we're talking about population? Um, the Rochester Epidemiology Project historically was only covering one county. That is Olmsted County, Minnesota, which is where we are uh, today. This county is, is a very good one, but it's relatively small. Today we are at 150,000 people living in the county. 150,000 people <clears throat> is good if you want to look at common diseases like myocardial infarction, stroke, dementia, uh, osteoporosis. This is good. Mm -hmm. But if you want to start to look at very small, specific types of cancer, or a very specific uh, disease of children or disease of uh, pregnancy, then you need to go to a bigger population. So in the last uh, 10 years, we have invested a lot of effort and resources to go from one county to six counties, from six counties to eight counties, and now we went from eight counties to 27 counties in wow. southeastern Minnesota and western Wisconsin. And the reason why we made this investment is because when we reach one million people, then we will have the perfect population. Uh, and seven. you almost have one million? We are at about 700 some thousand. Okay. And the, the target is to reach one million. When we will have one million. And that million, will increase also your diversity, correct? It will increase our diversity very, very nicely. Um, because of course, when you get to bigger number, you will have more diversities. As of today, uh, the diversity is very good if you want to study pediatric diseases or diseases of the young adults, because we have a lot of uh, children and adolescents who are not of uh, European descent. But if you go to the elderly, then the population is mainly uh, of European descent, with the exception of some very important groups of Asian Americans. So we have a lot of Asian Americans that came to Minnesota very early on at the time of the uh, Vietnam War, the Korean War, and the uh, events in, in Cambodia. Mm -hmm. So we have a very important uh, Southeast Asian community. So you can, as of today, do studies in that community, uh, even in the elderly. And this project is a research project. Yes. How do you address the consent form? Do you guys do consent for this? Yes. So uh, Minnesota is very special, as you know. It's a very special state in the United States. Minnesota was a pioneer state, uh, and in 1997, the state of Minnesota decided that you cannot simply use uh, the data that are in medical record freely without consulting with the patients. Mm -hmm. Before, it was possible to just use the data for research. So uh, in response to that, we got organized and we uh, developed a system where every time somebody comes to the doctor, 
through the Mayo Clinic, the Olmsted Medical Center, the Olmsted County Public Health, or any of the facilities Partners, participating, yeah. when you come for the first time, we will ask you a series of uh, questions. And the most important is, are you willing to give the permission so that your clinical data can be used for research in a project that has been approved by IRB and that is, of course, scientifically sound and, and where, where is IRB? For IRB for is the Institutional Review Board. Okay, so they're protected. They are protected because we don't want people to use the data uh, for a, to answer a silly question or a question that is not important or that's something that is capricious. So we want to make sure that the investigators are real scientists and real, real clinicians. And do you guys also have an advisory board? Or how do yes. Um, in addition to asking people to consent to have their information uh, used for research, we felt that it was important for the community to be able to know about what was going on and to express opinions. Mm. So we established a community advisory board which meets uh, three, year, three times per year. And, and we keep the board uh, updated on what we are doing. We ask questions about directions of our uh, activities. We ask them to help in developing communication uh, um, instruments, like uh, when we develop uh, a brochure or a poster or a video or something. We always involve the community because they can tell us what is more effective, what they understand, what is more uh, useful to mm -hmm. them. So the, the community collaborate with us through the community advisory board. And then we do as much as we can to speak about the rap in the media, in the local uh, newspaper, in the local uh, uh, social medias. We give talks and we try to... Yeah, I saw uh, an article or invitation for uh, uh, it was about the celebration of the 50 years of the project of the rep uh, and also about the Alzheimer uh, fundings that you guys have discovered through this through this project can you y mention a little bit how yes so the Rochester epidemiology project supports all kind of research okay mm -hmm. there is research going on today on osteoporosis and bone fracture congestive heart failure, which is the major cardiac disease. We have uh, things going on in epilepsy, multiple sclerosis, diabetes. But one of the big, big projects is on dementia. As you know, dementia is one of the most important and devastating problems in the population of the United States today because the population is getting older and many, many people are now surviving cancer, surviving cardiovascular disease. So we have a lot of people that are old and affected by diseases of the aging, such as dementia or cognitive problem, problem with memory, problem with activity of daily living. We have people that have hearing problem. We have people that have walking problem. We have people, so we are facing- Fall uh, prevention and all this. Yeah, fall prevention. So um, the Rochester Epidemiology Project is supporting a major, major activity in dementia and what we do, we um, use the rep to sample, to pick people, to invite, and then we invite people to come in, and then we give them certain tests, and we also um, uh, take picture of their brain, mm -hmm. and uh, we um, 
take a sample of their blood and their cerebrospinal fluid. So we do a lot of work to try to understand what causes dementia and what can be done to decrease the risk of, of the condition. Have you got a chance to, since you and I guess everybody, I saw on your site that everybody's, uh, you can get access to this data for some, if you want to do some research. Have you uh, seen the increase of um, dementia when the early ages, I mean, in the early years when the project was um, beginning, you know, during the 60s, early 70s, compared to now these days? Is that has been mm. increased? Is there is a peak or? Well, <clears throat> of course, um, dementia in the 60s, 70s was not really very well recognized okay. <clears throat> because it was not perceived to be an important problem. I think it became progressively more um, detected and recognized and diagnosed in the 80s and 90s and now, of course. What uh, we have some good news that in Olmsted County, uh, in the last uh, uh, 10, 15 years, we have seen a decline in the risk of uh, dementia. So that's quite good news. And we were some of the first in the world to suggest that there could be a decline. And the decline has then been confirmed in the Netherlands, in Sweden, in England, in other U.S. Okay. population, in Canada. So as of today, many people think that we are really doing something good to decrease the risk of dementia. And we were one of the first to detect it because of the ability to study the community in the Rochester Epidemiology Project. Yeah, I, I like um, during your talk how you present um, a timeline. Yeah, And you can say you know, by different colors, scan section of the timeline, detect, uh, how do you went over? Uh, yeah, the, to I determine. Mean, breakdown as yep. depends the disease that you're trying to yeah. research. So we can um, very, we have very detailed information about every person in the system. We know when they come in, where they live, when they come to see a doctor, when they get a diagnosis, when they get a laboratory test, when they get a surgery, everything is linked together into like a, a personal diary. And so we know for everybody where they are and what they have. And how do you can follow even outside the state or when somebody yeah. die, also that came out during the presentation, somebody asked. Yeah. And you get all the data from the state when somebody die and, and you say, okay, this person's life ended and you know where that person died yes. of. And what, what reason they died mm -hmm. of. So <clears throat> the beauty is that um, if somebody dies, sometimes the family let us know directly, let us uh, mm -hmm. know about it. But even if they don't, the state of Minnesota gives us every six months a full listing of all of the people that die in Minnesota. And then when somebody dies outside of Minnesota, then we can get it from the National Death Index. So all of the states of the United States share together the mortality data. So there is a big center mm -hmm. at the federal level where all of the data are channeled. And so every two or three years, we make sure that nobody has been falling through the cracks. So yeah. if somebody has not died yeah. that we know, but it could have died, then we run our list again, the national list, and we pick up all of the death that happened in Florida, in Arizona, in other parts of the country. Yeah, and, and also the, the vision, uh, 
of the doctor who started, I can remember right now his Dr. name. Dr. Corland. Yeah, and and the, you also shared with us the, um, during your presentation the how at the beginning it was all paper, yeah. and then it started being transferred, and now this day we have access within a click from a mouse. Yeah. And who, who can take, who can take care, I mean, take advantage of this information? Um, basically, anybody who wants to spend the time and the effort to get organized and access it, people can contact us. Of course, a lot of the users are local from the community, but we have had collaboration from all over the country and many international people come to the Mayo Clinic for a period of time and they get um, funding, they get the money to do the study, they get the institutional review board permission and then they can uh, do it. So, get access to that. Uh, absolutely. My first study using the Rochester Epidemiology Project was done when I was in living in Washington, D.C., Okay. At the time, I was working at the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda. Mm -hmm. I was at the Neurological Institute, and uh, that's your was one of the people places okay. where I was trained. Okay, it was part of my training. I was You're a neurologist. A, yeah, I'm a neurologist, and so I was at the institute doing a postdoctoral uh, fellowship, and then I became staff, uh, junior staff, and I convinced the head of my institute to give me money to give to the Mayo Clinic to collect data on epilepsy. Epilepsy is a disease of children where children have convulsions mm -hmm. or seizures. And so um, I was able to write a project, get the funding, get a contract with the Mayo Clinic, collect the data and publish the paper. So I used to go back and forth from Washington to Rochester. And, and you uh, fell in love with the winter. I fell in love with the weather, <laughs> irresistible uh, weather of Minnesota. So, that's how somebody can take advantage. And, and let's see, me as a community member, how can I uh, be part of this? Or how can I benefit, let's say? Okay, um, you can first of all help us by making sure that you have said yes to the permission to use your yeah. medical record. For so yeah, so I remember once I got a visit, uh, I guess it was one, my daughter's appointment. And then later on, I got something on the mail. Yeah. Do you approve? Yes. And I said, yeah. And, you don't, and they said, you don't have to do nothing if you say yes. Correct. And if you don't want, please let us know with this envelope. And yeah. I didn't have to do nothing, and, yeah. and yeah. so she's part of this. So for children, uh, we ask the parents to sign for them. But when they will turn 18, so your daughter, when she will turn 18, and she will be seen for the first time in one of the institutions, she will receive another letter saying, do you now? Okay, as adult. So, an adult has to choose uh, for herself. So, okay. But uh, if you then say yes, then it's yes forever unless you want to revoke it or you, mm -hmm. for some reason you don't want to do it any longer. But if you don't revoke it, you will give permission to continue. The reason we do that is because it's very uh, cumbersome to every time we do a project to write you a letter asking for your permission. Mm -hmm. For example, Today we have about 300 and some projects in the, in the Rochester Epidemiology Project, okay? And I may be involved with some of these projects and I don't even know, and I don't need to know, because I said yes to use my data for research, and so- Because you fit the criteria. Yeah. And they put you in the, yeah, yeah. In the pool. So. Okay, so 
how many papers or how many other researchers have taken advantage? How many publications? And uh, and when and can you explain to our community members what what is a publication? To yeah. So over fifty years, <clears throat> uh, about two thousand, almost three thousand projects have been conducted using the Rochester Epidemiology studies, Project. Yeah. And these are studies where you have a question, you write a project, you say what you want to do, then you get the money, and yeah. then you get permission to do it. Of course, there are a number of steps. <laughs> you cannot just come yeah. up. And, but after you get all of this done and you collect your data, you do your statistics, you, know, you do your computation with the numbers, and then you write a paper, you write a publication, you write a story. A scientific paper? Yeah, that's scientific what paper. Yeah, like okay. a story of what you have done. Okay. And these then get published in certain specific journals where uh, they are certain uh, scrutiny, make sure that what you say is correct. Or and is other, other people can take advantage of the publication. Yes. When the publication is out, it's in the public. So if you discover something and people uh, think that what you discover is important, you may change the practice of medicine or the life of people. So... This research is not for, for itself. It's really a way to improve medicine and health of the people. Because, for example, when we discovered that um, smoking was a cause of lung cancer, this prompted legal intervention to reduce the smoking. Uh, it, for example, we started... Policy start, change. Yeah. yeah, policy. So we started uh, <coughs> forbidding uh, smoking in public, in airplanes, in trains, in public places. And then progressively it was reduced in workplaces, in hospitals, all of that. So very often research leads to policies and policies lead to public health. So if you decide that certain chemicals are in the diet are toxic, then you can set up a law that says that that chemical cannot be used in your food or that the, the way you preserve food is not correct. or that. So every discovery can change our life. I see. So it's, it's quite yeah, important. Yeah, I, I like the <laughs> title or slogan that you guys have on your page that it says studying, no, changing globally health, studying local, improving health globally by studying health locally. Yeah. Talking about globally and going back to your Italian roots, what is the province meal that you more missed? Provence? It's yeah, cool. the Provence, yeah. yeah. Oh, you mean the food that I mean? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think um, here in Minnesota, we don't eat too often rabbit. You know rabbit? Yes, I, I had it Rabbit, it's a very good food that is very typical Lean. of uh, southern France. Lapin is the, is, the, is the word in French. And it's very commonly eaten and it's very good. And if you can have uh, rabbit or lapin with polenta, you would have a perfect match. Polenta? Polenta is like cornmeal. It's okay. a hot cornmeal, and then you do a sauce with the rabbit, and then you eat polenta with corn with a cornmeal with with rabbit. It's fantastic. Okay, and those are like a farm rabbits. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the rabbit is much better if it is free because if it is in a cage, it will taste funny. Okay. So it's not a good a uh, while. Contrary to the chicken, that even when they are raised in a confined place, they are okay. Of course, the free one are better, but uh, but yeah. the rabbit is almost impossible to eat it if it is not free. And in Provence, actually, they leave, they let them go around, and then they kill them with a gun to really make sure that they are free range. Okay, yeah, that's very typical of France. So, for 
or friends who are, live here in the area in southeast Minnesota, and uh, they want to go and check out any good Italian restaurant, any recommendation from you? Which one do you like? Uh, I get yeah. this question like, hey, Miguel, what kind of good Mexican restaurant do you like? So now yeah, I want to yeah, ask yeah. this to you. The problem is that um, Minnesota does not have a large Italian community. For some reason, the Italian went to San Francisco, New York, Chicago, <coughs> Miami, but they, for some reason, did not choose to come to Minnesota. Minnesota is mainly um, Northern European, Scandinavian, Swedish, Norwegian, Danish, a lot of Germans, a fair amount of Irish, uh, but very few Italians, some Greeks. So the Italian food here is not really very, very good. I would say that you really, if you want to have good food, you will have to go to the cities. Uh, in Minneapolis and Paul, then you can have good food. Here you can have okay pizza if you want, but it's complicated. Okay. Do you cook? I am not a good cook, but my wife is a very good is she cook. Italian too? She is Italian, although she grew up in Switzerland speaking French, but she's from an Italian family. Okay. So the food is Italian, but she is kind of more French than than Italian. Okay. Well, maybe one of these days we gotta do an episode on. Yeah, but French cooks are also very good, you know. Oh yeah. Okay. As good as Italian, maybe better. All right. Yeah. Doc, thank you so much for the information. Where can people find information about the rep? <coughs> okay. So the best way is to simply uh, type uh, in your web uh, access mm -hmm. Rochester Epidemiology Project. Dot org. Yes. No. Uh, uh, well, you can either type Rochester Epidemiology oh. Project and go with the name, okay. or you can use Rochester Project altogether without space dot org. Okay. But I sometimes I'm lazy, so I just type Rochester Epidemiology Project and like in out. English, and it comes up immediately. Okay. And and in the website, you will have videos like short movies okay. about the history and about what the Rochester Epidemiology Project is. You can have uh, uh, short uh, videos in Spanish, in Somali, in English. Yeah. Uh, then you can search all of the publication, all of the scientific paper that we produced. You can find uh, all kinds of nice information. So it's a very nice website. So they website. can see the papers that you have? Well, yes. Well. So let's say... I want to know what have you done for brain tumors or okay. for uh, breast cancer or for ovarian cancer or for lung cancer. You just go into the website, you pick something called search for literature for publications, mm -hmm. and then there is a place where you can type in lung cancer return, and it spits out all of the publications that were put. Where do you see with the, the population changing, where do you see the project going in the future? Well, <clears throat> what we would like to see happening in the future is the, to consolidate well the 27-county region of Minnesota and Wisconsin so that we will have a 1 million people population to look at. <coughs> we also hope that new people, new generation of people, will have new ideas of new questions to ask, new data to collect. So. It's all open for the future. The future is open. There are a lot of things that can be done. I think it's underutilized. The Rochester Epidemiology Project is under, um, it's not known enough by people. It's not used enough by people. So I, we hope that this conversation mm -hmm. will help spreading the voice and having more people asking questions and looking it, going to the website, checking it out. And yeah. 
And I like also one thing that you mentioned on your presentation that you said the the future is here. Yes, the future has started. Yeah. And a lot of things are happening, um, but a lot more can be done. So it's it's just it's it's a continuing story. It's an open story, which already has 50 years of history. But do you have a Twitter account where people can follow you? No, I do not uh, use tweeting because I have a lot of email uh, traffic, so it <laughs> will have to go through email if you want okay. to reach me. Well, but they I'm can contact you. I mean, they can contact you through the website. We're, we're going to be yes. putting the link here. Yes, the website is very good, and then uh, my email also works, but this is very good, and we get a lot of uh, questions. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you, and uh, make sure everybody to go and check out the website. We're going to be putting here the link to the rochesterproject.org and in our site. So make sure you go to our site. We're gonna be putting the link there at smartridenetwork.net. And also we're gonna make sure you follow us on Twitter on their community board in Twitter. Also go to Facebook and find us on their community board also. Go on pages and put community board and you can find us there. And we're gonna be putting here the link and stay tuned for our next show. And remember, if you want to share something with the community, get in contact with us and we'll make sure it happens. Doc, have a great day and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Bye-bye. <laughs>